Question 2, Part 2 of Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treatise on the Saviour. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treatise on the Saviour, by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 2. Of the mode of union of the word incarnate, in twelve articles. Part 2. Articles 6 through 12. Sixth article. Whether the human nature was united to the word of God accidentally. Objection 1. It would seem that the human nature was united to the word of God accidentally. For the Apostle says in Philippians 2.7 of the Son of God that he was in habit found as a man. But habit is accidentally associated with that to which it pertains, whether habit be taken for one of the ten categories or as a species of quality. Therefore, Human nature is accidentally united to the Son of God. Objection to further. Whatever comes to a thing that is complete in being comes to it accidentally. For an accident is said to be what can come or go without the subject being corrupted. But human nature came to Christ in time, who had perfect being from eternity. Therefore, it came to him accidentally. Objection 3. Further, whatever does not pertain to the nature or the essence of a thing is its accident, for whatever is, is either a substance or an accident. But human nature does not pertain to the divine essence or nature of the Son of God, for the union did not take place in the nature as was said above in Article 1. Hence, the human nature must have accrued accidentally to the Son of God. Objection for further. An instrument accrues accidentally. But the human nature was the instrument of the Godhead in Christ, for Damascene says in On the True Faith 3.15 that the flesh of Christ is the instrument of the Godhead. Therefore, it seems that the human nature was united to the Son of God accidentally. On the contrary, whatever is predicated accidentally predicates not substance, but quantity or quality or some other mode of being. If, therefore, the human nature accrues accidentally when we say Christ is man, we do not predicate substance, but quality or quantity, or some other mode of being, which is contrary to the decretal of Pope Alexander III, who says, Since Christ is perfect God and perfect man, what foolhardiness have some to dare to affirm that Christ as man is not a substance? I answer that, in evidence of this question, we must know that two heresies have arisen with regard to the mystery of the union of the two natures in Christ. The first confused the natures, as Eutyches and Dioscorus, 
who held that from the two natures one nature resulted so that they confessed christ to be from two natures which were distinct before the union but not in two natures the distinction of nature coming to an end after the union the second was the heresy of nestorius and theodore of mopsuestia who separated the persons for they held the person of the son of god to be distinct from the person of the son of man and said these were mutually united first by indwelling inasmuch as the word of god dwelt in the man as in a temple secondly by unity of intention inasmuch as the will of the man was always in agreement with the will of the word of god thirdly by operation inasmuch as they said the man was the instrument of the word of god fourthly by greatness of honor inasmuch as all honor shown to the son of god was equally shown to the son of man on account of his union with the son of god fifthly by equivocation that is communication of names inasmuch as we say that this man is god and the son of god now it is plain that these modes imply an accidental union but some more recent masters thinking to avoid these heresies through ignorance fell into them for some conceded one person in christ but maintained two hypostases or supposita saying that a man composed of body and soul was from the beginning of his conception assumed by the word of god and this is the first opinion set down by the master in his sentences three d six but others desirous of keeping the unity of person held that the soul of christ was not united to the body but that these two were mutually separate and were united to the word accidentally so that the number of persons might not be increased and this is the third opinion which the master sets down in his sentences three d six but both of these opinions fall into the heresy of nestorius the first indeed because to maintain two hypostases or supposita in christ is the same as to maintain two persons as was shown above in article three and if stress is laid on the word person we must have in mind that even nestorius spoke of unity of person on account of the unity of dignity and honor hence the fifth council constantinople two in collection eight canon five directs an anathema against such a one as holds one person in dignity honor and adoration as theodore and nestorius foolishly wrote but the other opinion falls into the error of nestorius by maintaining an accidental union for there is no difference in saying that the word of god is united to the man christ by indwelling as in his temple as nestorius said or by putting on man as a garment which is the third opinion rather it says something worse than nestorius to wit that the soul and body are not united 
Now the Catholic faith, holding the mean between the aforesaid positions, does not affirm that the union of God and man took place in the essence or nature, nor yet in something accidental, but midway, in a subsistence or hypostasis. Hence, in the fifth council, Constantinople II, in Collection 8, Canon 5, we read, Since the unity may be understood in many ways, those who follow the impiety of Apollinaris and Eutychus, professing the destruction of what came together, that is, destroying both natures, confess a union by mingling. But the followers of Theodore and Nestorius, maintaining division, introduce a union of purpose. But the Holy Church of God, rejecting the impiety of both these treasons, confesses a union of the word of God with flesh, by composition, which is in subsistence. Therefore it is plain that the second of the three opinions mentioned by the Master, in his sentences 3d6, which holds one hypostasis of God and man, is not to be called an opinion, but an article of Catholic faith. So likewise the first opinion which holds two hypostases, and the third which holds an accidental union, are not to be styled opinions, but heresies condemned by the Church in councils. Reply to Objection 1 As Damascene says in On the True Faith 326, Examples need not be holy and at all points similar, for what is wholly similar is the same and not an example, and especially in divine things, for it is impossible to find a wholly similar example in the theology, that is, in the Godhead of persons, and in the dispensation, that is, the mystery of the Incarnation. Hence the human nature in Christ is likened to a habit, that is, a garment, not indeed in regard to accidental union, but inasmuch as the word is seen by the human nature as a man by his garment, and also inasmuch as the garment is changed, for it is shaped according to the figure of him who puts it on, and yet he is not changed from his form on account of the garment. So likewise, the human nature assumed by the word of God is ennobled, but the word of God is not changed, as Augustine says in his 83 questions, question 73. Reply to Objection 2. Whatever accrues after the completion of the being comes accidentally, unless it be taken into communion with the complete being. Just as, in the resurrection, the body comes to the soul which pre-exists, yet not accidentally, because it is assumed unto the same being, so that the body has vital being through the soul. But it is not so with whiteness, for the being of whiteness is other than the being of man to which whiteness comes. But the word of God from all eternity had complete being in hypostasis or person, while in time the human nature accrued to it, not as if it were assumed unto one being inasmuch as this is of the nature, 
even as the body is assumed to the being of the soul, but to one being inasmuch as this is of the hypostasis or person. Hence the human nature is not accidentally united to the Son of God. Reply to Objection 3. Accident is divided against substance. Now substance, as is plain from Metaphysics 5.25, is taken in two ways. First, for essence or nature. Secondly, for suppositum or hypostasis. Hence the union, having taken place in the hypostasis, is enough to show that it is not an accidental union, although the union did not take place in the nature. Reply to Objection 4. Not everything that is assumed as an instrument pertains to the hypostases of the one who assumes, as is plain in the case of a saw or a sword. Yet nothing prevents what is assumed into the unity of the hypostases from being as an instrument, even as the body of man or his members. Hence Nestorius held that the human nature was assumed by the word merely as an instrument, and not into the unity of the hypostasis. And therefore he did not concede that the man was really the Son of God, but his instrument. Hence Cyril says, in his letter to the Egyptian monks, The scripture does not affirm that this Emmanuel, that is, Christ, was assumed for the office of an instrument, but as God truly humanized, that is, made man. But Damascene held that the human nature in Christ is an instrument belonging to the unity of the hypostasis. Seventh article. Whether the union of the divine nature and the human is anything created? Objection 1. It would seem that the union of the divine and human natures is not anything created. For there can be nothing created in God, because whatever is in God is God. But the union is in God, for God himself is united to human nature. Therefore, it seems that the union is not anything created. Objection to, further, the end holds first place in everything. But the end of the union is the divine hypostasis or person, in which the union is terminated. Therefore, it seems that this union ought chiefly to be judged with reference to the dignity of the divine hypostasis, which is not anything created. Therefore, the union is nothing created. Objection 3. Further, that which is the cause of a thing being such is still more so, according to the posterior analytics one. But man is said to be the creator on account of the union. Therefore, much more is the union itself nothing created, but the creator. On the contrary, whatever has a beginning in time is created. Now this union was not from eternity, but began in time. Therefore, the union is something created. 
I answer that, the union of which we are speaking is a relation, which we consider between the divine and the human nature, inasmuch as they come together in one person of the Son of God. Now, as was said above in the Pars Prima, question 13, article 7, every relation which we consider between God and the creature is really in the creature, by whose change the relation is brought into being, whereas it is not really in God, but only in our way of thinking, since it does not arise from any change in God. And hence, we must say that the union of which we are speaking is not really in God, except only in our way of thinking, but in the human nature, which is a creature, it is really. Therefore, we must say it is something created. Reply to Objection 1. This union is not really in God, but only in our way of thinking, for God is said to be united to a creature inasmuch as the creature is really united to God without any change in him. Reply to Objection 2. The specific nature of a relation, as of motion, depends on the subject, and since this union has its being nowhere save in a created nature, as was said above, it follows that it has a created being. Reply to Objection 3. A man is called creator and is God because of the union, inasmuch as it is terminated in the divine hypostasis. Yet it does not follow that the union itself is the creator or God, because that a thing is said to be created regards its being rather than its relation. Eighth article, whether union is the same as assumption. Objection 1. It would seem that union is the same as assumption. For relations, as motions, are specified by their termini. Now the term of assumption and union is one and the same, notably the divine hypostasis. Therefore it seems that the union and assumption are not different. Objection to. Further, in the mystery of the Incarnation, the same thing seems to be what unites and what assumes, and what is united and what is assumed. But union and assumption seem to follow the action and passion of the thing uniting and the united, of the thing assuming and the assumed. Therefore, union seems to be the same as assumption. Objection 3. Further, Damascene says in On the True Faith 3.11, Union is one thing, incarnation is another. For union demands mere copulation, and leaves unsaid the end of the copulation. But incarnation and humanation determine the end of the copulation. But likewise, assumption does not determine the end of copulation. Therefore, it seems that union is the same as assumption. On the contrary, the divine nature is said to be united, 
not assumed. I answer that, as was stated above in Article 7, union implies a certain relation of the divine nature and the human, according as they come together in one person. Now all relations which began in time are brought about by some change, and change consists in action and passion. Hence the first and principal difference between assumption and union must be said to be that union implies the relation, whereas assumption implies the action, whereby someone is said to assume, or the passion, whereby something is said to be assumed. Now from this difference another second difference arises, for the assumption implies becoming, whereas union implies having become, and therefore the thing uniting is said to be united, but the thing assuming is not said to be assumed. For the human nature is taken to be in the terminus of the assumption unto the divine hypostasis, when man is spoken of, and hence we can truly say that the Son of God, who assumes human nature unto himself, is man. But human nature, considered in itself, that is, in the abstract, is viewed as assumed, and we do not say that the Son of God is human nature. From this same follows a third difference, which is that a relation, especially one of equiparence, is no more to one extreme than to the other, whereas action and passion bear themselves differently to the agent and the patient, and to different termini. And hence, assumption determines the term whence and the term whither, for assumption means a taking to oneself from another. But union determines none of these things. Hence it may be said indifferently that the human nature is united with the divine, or conversely. But the divine nature is not said to be assumed by the human, but conversely because the human nature is joined to the divine personality, so that the divine person subsists in human nature. Reply to Objection 1. Union and assumption have not the same relation to the term, but a different relation, as was said above. Reply to Objection 2. What unites and what assumes are not the same. For whatsoever person assumes unites, and not conversely. For the person of the Father united the human nature to the Son, but not to himself, and hence he is said to unite and not to assume. So likewise the united and the assumed are not identical, for the divine nature is said to be united, but not assumed. Reply to Objection 3. Assumption determines with whom the union is made on the part of the one assuming, inasmuch as assumption means taking unto oneself, ad se sumere, whereas incarnation and humanation determine with whom the union is made on the part of the thing assumed, which is flesh or human nature. 
and thus assumption differs logically both from union and from incarnation or humanation ninth article whether the union of the two natures in christ is the greatest of all unions objection one it would seem that the union of the two natures in christ is not the greatest of all unions for what is united falls short of the unity of what is one since what is united is by participation but one is by essence now in created things there are some that imply simply one as is shown especially in unity itself which is the principle of number therefore the union of which we are speaking does not imply the greatest of all unions objection to further the greater the distance between things united the less the union now the things united by this union are most distant namely the divine and human natures for they are infinitely apart therefore their union is the least of all objection three further from union there results one but from the union of soul and body in us there arises what is one in person and nature whereas from the union of the divine and human nature there results what is one in person only therefore the union of soul and body is greater than that of the divine and human natures and hence the union of which we speak does not imply the greatest unity on the contrary augustine says in on the trinity one ten that man is in the son of god more than the son is in the father but the son is in the father by unity of essence and man is in the son by the union of the incarnation therefore the union of the incarnation is greater than the unity of the divine essence which nevertheless is the greatest union and thus the union of the incarnation implies the greatest unity i answer that union implies the joining of several into some one thing therefore the union of the incarnation may be taken in two ways first in regard to the things united secondly in regard to that in which they are united and in this regard this union has a preeminence over other unions for the unity of the divine person in which the two natures are united is the greatest but it has no preeminence in regard to the things united reply to objection one the unity of the divine person is greater than numerical unity which is the principle of number for the unity of a divine person is an uncreated and self-subsisting unity not received into another by participation also it is complete in itself having in itself whatever pertains to the nature of unity and therefore it is not compatible with the nature of a part as in numerical unity which is a part of number 
and which is shared in by the things numbered and hence in this respect the union of the incarnation is higher than numerical unity by reason of the unity of the divine person and not by reason of the human nature which is not the unity of the divine person but is united to it reply to objection to this reason regards the things united and not the person in whom the union takes place reply to objection three the unity of the divine person is greater than the unity of person and nature in us and hence the union of the incarnation is greater than the union of soul and body in us and because what is urged in the argument on the contrary rests upon what is untrue namely that the union of the incarnation is greater than the union of the divine persons in essence we must say to the authority of augustine that the human nature is not more in the son of god than the son of god in the father but much less but the man in some respects is more in the son than the son in the father namely inasmuch as the same suppositum is signified when i say man meaning christ and when i say son of god whereas it is not the same suppositum of father and son tenth article whether the union of the incarnation took place by grace objection one it would seem that the union of the incarnation did not take place by grace for grace is an accident as was shown above in the pars prima secunde question one hundred and ten article two but the union of the human nature to the divine did not take place accidentally as was shown above in article six therefore it seems that the union of the incarnation did not take place by grace objection to further the subject of grace is in the soul but it is written in colossians two nine in christ dwelleth all the fullness of the godhead corporeally therefore it seems that this union did not take place by grace objection three further every saint is united to god by grace if therefore the union of the incarnation was by grace it would seem that christ is said to be god no more than other holy men on the contrary augustine says in on the predestination of the saints fifteen by the same grace every man is made a christian from the beginning of his faith as this man from his beginning was made christ but this man became christ by union with the divine nature therefore this union was by grace i answer that as was said above in the pars prima secunde question one hundred and ten article one grace is taken in two ways first as the will of god gratuitously bestowing something secondly as the free gift of god now human nature stands in need of the gratuitous will of god 
in order to be lifted up to God, since this is above its natural capability. Moreover, human nature is lifted up to God in two ways. First, by operation, as the saints know and love God. Secondly, by personal being, and this mode belongs exclusively to Christ, in whom human nature is assumed so as to be in the person of the Son of God. But it is plain that for the perfection of operation, the power needs to be perfected by a habit, whereas that a nature has being in its own suppositum does not take place by means of a habit. And hence we must say that if grace be understood as the will of God gratuitously doing something or reputing anything as well-pleasing or acceptable to him, the union of the Incarnation took place by grace, even as the union of the saints with God by knowledge and love. But if grace be taken as the free gift of God, then the fact that the human nature is united to the divine person may be called a grace, inasmuch as it took place without being preceded by any merits, but not as though there were an habitual grace by means of which the union took place. Reply to Objection 1. The grace which is an accident is a certain likeness of the divinity participated by man. But by the Incarnation, human nature is not said to have participated a likeness of the divine nature, but is said to be united to the divine nature itself in the person of the Son. Now the thing itself is greater than a participated likeness of it. Reply to Objection 2. Habitual grace is only in the soul, but the grace, that is, the free gift of God, of being united to the divine person, belongs to the whole human nature, which is composed of soul and body. And hence it is said that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt corporeally in Christ, because the divine nature is united not merely to the soul, but to the body also although it may also be said that it dwelt in Christ corporeally, that is, not as in a shadow, as it dwelt in the sacraments of the old law, of which it is said in the same place, in Colossians 2.17, that they are the shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ, inasmuch as the body is opposed to the shadow. And some say that the Godhead is said to have dwelt in Christ corporeally, that is, in three ways, just as a body has three dimensions. First, by essence, presence and power, as in other creatures. Secondly, by sanctifying grace, as in the saints. Thirdly, by personal union, which is proper to Christ. Hence the reply to the third objection is manifest, Notably, because the union of the Incarnation did not take place by habitual grace alone, but in the subsistence or person. Eleventh Article Whether Any Merits Preceded the Union of the Incarnation Objection 1. It would seem that the union of the Incarnation 
followed upon certain merits because upon psalm 32 verse 22 let thy mercy o lord be upon us etc a gloss says here the prophet's desire for the incarnation and its merited fulfillment are hinted at therefore the incarnation falls under merit objection to further whoever merits anything merits that without which it cannot be but the ancient fathers merited eternal life to which they were able to attain only by the incarnation for gregory says in his commentary on job thirteen those who came into this world before christ's coming whatsoever eminency of righteousness they may have had could not on being divested of the body at once be admitted into the bosom of the heavenly country seeing that he had not as yet come who by his own descending should place the souls of the righteous in their everlasting seat therefore it would seem that they merited the incarnation objection three further of the blessed virgin it is sung that she merited to bear the lord of all according to the office of the blessed virgin mary in the dominican rite at the benedictus and this took place through the incarnation therefore the incarnation falls under merit on the contrary augustine says in on the predestination of the saints fifteen whoever can find merits preceding the singular generation of our head may also find merits preceding the repeated regeneration of us his members but no merits preceded our regeneration according to titus three five not by the works of justice which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us by the laver of regeneration therefore no merits preceded the generation of christ i answer that with regard to christ himself it is clear from the above in article ten that no merits of his could have preceded the union for we do not hold that he was first of all a mere man and that afterwards by the merits of a good life it was granted him to become the son of god as photinus held but we hold that from the beginning of his conception this man was truly the son of god seeing that he had no other hypostasis but that of the son of god according to luke one thirty five the holy which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of god and hence every operation of this man followed the union therefore no operation of his could have been meritorious of the union neither could the needs of any other man whatsoever have merited this union condignly first because the meritorious works of man are properly ordained to beatitude which is the reward of virtue and consists in the full enjoyment of god whereas the union of the incarnation inasmuch as it is in the personal being transcends the union of the beatified mind with god which is by the act of the soul in fruition 
and therefore it cannot fall under merit. Secondly, because grace cannot fall under merit, for the principle of merit does not fall under merit, and therefore neither does grace, for it is the principle of merit. Hence, still less does the incarnation fall under merit, since it is the principle of grace, according to John one seventeen. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Thirdly, because the incarnation is for the reformation of the entire human nature, and therefore it does not fall under the merit of any individual man, since the goodness of a mere man cannot be the cause of the good of the entire nature. Yet the Holy Fathers merited the incarnation congruously by desiring and beseeching, for it was becoming that God should hearken to those who obeyed him. And thereby the reply to the first objection is manifest. Reply to objection 2. It is false that under merit falls everything without which there can be no reward, for there is something pre-required not merely for reward, but also for merit, as the divine goodness and grace and the very nature of man. And again, the mystery of the Incarnation is the principle of merit, because of his fullness we have all received, according to John 1.16. Reply to Objection 3. The Blessed Virgin is said to have merited to bear the Lord of all, not that she merited his incarnation, but because by the grace bestowed upon her she merited that grade of purity and holiness which fitted her to be the mother of God. Twelfth Article whether the grace of union was natural to the man Christ. Objection 1. It would seem that the grace of union was not natural to the man Christ. For the union of the incarnation did not take place in the nature, but in the person, as was said above in Article 2. Now a thing is denominated from its terminus. Therefore, this grace ought rather to be called personal than natural. Objection to further, grace is divided against nature, even as gratuitous things which are from God are distinguished from natural things which are from an intrinsic principle. But if things are divided in opposition to one another, one is not denominated by the other. Therefore, the grace of Christ was not natural to him. Objection 3. Further, natural is that which is according to nature. But the grace of union is not natural to Christ in regard to the divine nature, otherwise it would belong to the other persons. Nor is it natural to him according to the human nature, otherwise it would belong to all men, since they are of the same nature as he. Therefore, it would seem that the grace of union is no wise natural to Christ. On the contrary, Augustine says in his Enchiridion 40, In the assumption of human nature, 
grace itself became somewhat natural to that man, so as to leave no room for sin in him. I answer that, according to the philosopher in Metaphysics 5.5, nature designates, in one way, nativity, in another, the essence of a thing. Hence natural may be taken in two ways. First, for what is only from the essential principles of a thing, as it is natural to fire to mount. Secondly, we call natural to man what he has had from his birth, according to Ephesians 2.3. We were by nature children of wrath. And in Wisdom 12.10, they were a wicked generation, and their malice natural. Therefore the grace of Christ, whether of union or habitual, cannot be called natural as if caused by the principles of the human nature of Christ, although it may be called natural as if coming into the human nature of Christ by the causality of his divine nature. But these two kinds of grace are said to be natural in Christ, inasmuch as he had them from his nativity, since from the beginning of his conception the human nature was united to the divine person, and his soul was filled with the gift of grace. Reply to Objection 1. Although the union did not take place in the nature, yet it was caused by the power of the divine nature, which is truly the nature of Christ, and it, moreover, belonged to Christ from the beginning of his nativity. Reply to Objection 2. The union is not said to be grace and natural in the same respect, for it is called grace inasmuch as it is not from merit, and it is said to be natural inasmuch as by the power of the divine nature it was in the humanity of Christ from his nativity. Reply to Objection 3. The grace of union is not natural to Christ according to his human nature, as if it were caused by the principles of the human nature, and hence it need not belong to all men. Nevertheless, it is natural to him in regard to the human nature on account of the property of his birth, seeing that he was conceived by the Holy Ghost, so that he might be the natural son of God and of man. But it is natural to him in regard to the divine nature, inasmuch as the divine nature is the active principle of this grace, and this belongs to the whole trinity, to wit, to be the active principle of this grace. End of question 2 Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.